Welcome to The Narrator Presents. I'm your host, The Narrator, and this is the Tale Series. And today we're going to be starting off the Tale Series with The Miller's Tale by Geoffrey Chaucer. Now, right before I jump right into the tale, I do want to say that the first time I read this tale, the first time I heard it was actually in college when I was, in, uh, when I was at the university. And I remember my professor telling us this tale, and I had never read the Canterbury Tales before or knew who the hell Geoffrey Chaucer was. And when the professor told this, I was like, whoa, this is freaking hilarious. The whole class was just cracking up. I mean, I was in tears when I heard this, this freaking tale. It's actually hilarious. It's a good tale. And it's also just straight up freaking messed up. Let me tell you, man. This tale is just messed up in so many ways. And most of the tales that we're going to be looking at here are messed up in so many ways. All right, so I'm going to stop talking here at this point. I'm just going to jump right into the Miller's Tale. All right, guys, hope you enjoy it. And pay attention to it, promise you, it's pretty freaking hilarious and messed up. The Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer The Miller's Tale Some time ago, there was a rich old codger who lived in Oxford and who took a lodger. The fellow was a carpenter by trade, his lodger a poor student who had made some studies in the arts, but all his fancy turned to astrology and geomancy and he could deal with certain propositions and make a forecast under some conditions about the likelihood of drought or showers that those who asked at favorable hours or put a question how their luck would fall in this or that, I can't describe them all. This lad was known as Nicholas the Gallant in making love in secret with his talent, for he was very close and sly and took advantage of his meek and girlish look. He rented a small chamber in the kip, all by himself without companionship. He decked it charmingly with herbs and fruit, and he himself was sweeter than the roots of licorice or any fragrant herb. His astronomic textbooks were superb. He had an astrolobe to match his art, and calculating counters laid apart on handy shelves that stood above his bed. His press was curtained coarsely and in red. Above there lay a gallant harp in sight on which he played melodiously at night. With such a touch that all the chamber rang, it was the Virgin's Angelus that he sang. And after that, he sang King William's note, and people often blessed his merry throat. And that was how this charming scholar spent his time and money which his friends had sent. The carpenter had married a new wife not long before and loved her more than life. She was a girl of 18 years of age, jealous he was and kept her in the cage for he was old and she was wild and young he thought himself quite likely to be stung he might have known were cato on his shelf a man should marry someone like himself a man should pick an equal for his mate youth and old age are often in debate however he had fallen in the snare and had to bear his cross as others bear she was a fair young wife her body as slender as any weasel's, and as soft and tender. She used to wear a girdle of striped silk, her apron was as white as morning milk, over her loins all gusseted and pleated. White was her smock, embroidery repeated, its pattern on the collar, front and back, inside and out, it was of silk and black. The tapes and ribbons of her milky much were made to match her collar to a touch. She wore a broad silk fillet, rather high, and certainly she had a lecherous eye. And she had plucked her eyebrows into bows, 
slenderly arced they were in blackest sloughs, and a more truly blissful sight to see, she was then blossom on a cherry tree, and softer than the wool upon a weather, and by her girdle hung a purse of leather, tasseled with silk and silver droplets pearled. If you went seeking up and down the world, the wisest man you meet would have to wretch his fancy to imagine such a wench, and her complexion had a brighter tint than a new florin from the royal mint. As to her song, it was as loud and quick as any swallow's chirping on a rick, and she would skip or play some game or other like any kid or calf behind its mother. Her mouth was sweet as mead or honey, say a horde of apples lying in a hay, skittish she was and jolly as a colt, tall as a mast, upright as a bolt, out of a bough. Her collar it revealed, a brooch as big as boss upon a shield, high shoes she wore and laced them to the top. She was a daisy, oh, a lollipop, for any nobleman to take to bed or some good man of yeoman stock to wed. Now, gentlemen, this gallant Nicholas one day began to romp and make a pass at this young woman in a mood of play, her husband being out down Osney way. Students are sly, and giving way to whim, he made a grab and caught her by the quim and said, Unless I have my will of you, I'll die of secret love, oh darling, do. Then held her haunches hard and gave a cry, Oh, love me all at once or I shall die. She gave a spring, just like a skittish colt, boxing a frame for shoeing and with a jolt, managed in time to wrench her head away, and said, Give over, Nicholas, I say. No, I won't kiss you. Stop it. Let me go, or I shall scream. I'll let the neighbors know. Where are your manners? Take away your paws. Then Nicholas began to plead his cause, and spoke so fair in proffering what he could, that in the end she promised him she would, swearing she'd love him with a solemn promise to be at his disposal by St. Thomas, when she could spy an opportunity. My husband is so full of jealousy, unless you watch your step and hold your breath, I know for certain it will be my death, she said, so keep it well under your hat. Oh, never mind about a thing like that, said he. A scholar doesn't have to stir his wits so much to trick a carpenter. And so they both agreed to it, and swore to watch their chance, as I have said before. When things were settled thus as they thought fit, and Nicholas had stroked her loins a bit, and kissed her sweetly, he took down his harp, and played away a merry tune and sharp. It happened later, she went off to church, his worthy wife one holiday to search her conscience and to do the works of Christ. She put her work aside and she enticed the collar to her face to make her mark, her forehead shone. There was a parish clerk serving the church whose name was Absalon. His hair was all in golden curls and shone, just like a fan it strutted outwards, starting to left and right from an accomplished parting. Rudy, his face, his eyes as gray as goose, his shoes cut out in a tracery as in use, and old St. Paul's. The hose upon his feet showed scarlet through, and all his clothes were neat and proper. In a jacket of light blue, flounced at the waist, and tagged with laces too, he went and wore a surplice just as gay, and white as any blossom on the spray. God bless my soul, he was a merry knave. He knew how to let blood cut hair and shave, and draw up legal deeds on other wiles, he used to dance in twenty different styles. After the current school at Oxford, though, K 
casting his legs about him to and fro. He played a two-stringed fiddle, did it proud, and sang a high falsetto rather loud, and he was just as good on the guitar. There was no public house in town or bar. He didn't visit with his merry face. If there were saucy barmaids round the place, he was a little squeamish in the matter of farting and satirical in chatter. This Absalon, so jolly in his ways, would bear the censer round on holidays and sense the parish women. He would cast many a lovelorn look before he passed, especially at this carpenter's young wife. Looking at her would make a happy life. She was so neat, so sweet, so lecherous. And I dare say, if she had been a mouse and he a cat, she'd have been pounced upon. And taking the collection, Absalon would find his heart was set in such a whirl of love he would take nothing from a girl. For courtesy, he said, it wasn't right. That evening, when the moon was shining bright, he ups with his guitar and off he tours, on the lookout for any paramours. Larky and amorous, away he strode until he reached the carpenter's abode. A little after Cock Crow took his stand beside the casement window close at hand, it was set low upon the cottage face and started singing softly and with grace. Now, dearest lady, if thy pleasure be, in thoughts of love, think tenderly of me. On his guitar he plucked a tuneful string. This carpenter awoke and heard him sing, and turning to his wife said, Allison, wife, do you hear him? There goes Absalon, chanting away under our chamber wall. And she, yes, John, God knows I hear it all. If she thought more of it, she didn't tell. So things went on. What's better than all's well? From day to day this jolly Absalon, wooing away, became quite woo-begone. He lay awake all night and all the day, combed his thick locks and tried to pass for gay, wooed her by, go between and wooed by proxy, swore to be page and severed to his doxy, trilled and rolled like a nightingale, sent her sweet wine and mead and spicy ale, and wafers piping hot and jars of honey, and, as she lived in town, he offered money, for there are some a money bag provokes, and some are won by kindness, some by strokes. Once, in the hop his talent might engage, he played the part of Herod on the stage. What was the good? Were he as bold as brass, she was in love with gallant Nicholas. However, Absalom might blow his horn, his labor won him nothing but her scorn. She looked upon him as her private ape, and held his earnest wooing all a jape. There is a proverb, true as you may find, that out of sight is also out of mind. For nigh and sly has the advantage there, and much as Absalom to my tear his hair, and rage a being seldom in her sight, Nicholas nigh and sly stood in his light. Now show your paces, Nicholas, you spark, and leave lamenting to the parish clerk. And so it happened that one Saturday, when the old carpenter was safe away, Osney, Nicholas, and Allison agreed at last in what was to be done. Nicholas was to exercise his wits, on her suspicious husband's foolish fits, and if so be the trick worked at all night, she then would sleep with Nicholas all night, for such was his desire hers as well, and even quicker then it takes to tell. Young Nicholas, who simply couldn't wait, went to his room on tiptoe with a plate, of food and drink, enough to last a day or two, and Allison was to told to say, in case her husband asked for Nicholas, that she had no idea where he was, and that she hadn't set eyes on him all day, and thought he must be ill, she couldn't say. 
and more than once the maid had given a call and shouted, but no answer came at all. So it continued all that Saturday, without a sound from Nicholas, who lay upstairs, and ate or slept as pleased him best, till Sunday when the sun went down to rest. This foolish carpenter was lost in wonder, and Nicholas, what could have got him under? He said, I can't help thinking by the mass, things can't be going right with Nicholas. What if he took and died? God guard his ways. A ticklish place the world is nowadays. I saw a corpse this morning born to Kirk, that only Monday last I saw at work. Run up, he told the serving lad. Be quick, shout out his door, or knock it with a brick. Take a good look and tell me how he fares. The serving boy went sternly upstairs, stopped at the door and, standing there, the lad shut it away and, hammering like mad, cried, Ho, what's up? Hi, Master Nicolay. How can you lie up this sleep all day? But all for naught, he didn't hear a soul. He found a broken panel with a hole, right at the bottom, useful to the cat for creeping in by. So he looked through that, and in the end he saw him through the crack. This Nicholas lay gapping at his back, and as if he'd caught a glimpse of the new moon. Down went the boy and told his master soon about the state in which he found the man. On hearing this, the carpenter began to cross himself and said, St. Frid's will bless us. We little know what's coming to distress us. This man has fallen with here in his astronomy into a fit or lunacy, maybe. I always thought that was how it would go. God bless some secrets that we shouldn't know. How blessed are the simple eye, indeed, that only know enough to say their creed. Happened just so with such another student of astronomy as he was so imprudent as to stare upward while he crossed the field, busy foreseeing what the stars revealed. And what should happen but he fell down flat into a moral pit? He didn't foresee that. But by the saints we've reached a sorry pass. I can't help worrying for Nicholas. He shall be scolded for his studying if I know how to scold by Christ the King. Get me a staff to prize against the floor. Robin, you put your shoulder to the door. We'll take the study out of him, I guess. The pair of them began to heave and press against the door. Happened the lad was strong, and so it didn't take them very long to heave it off its hinges down it came. Still, as a stone lay Nicholas, with the same expression gaping towards into air, the carpenter supposed it was despair, and caught him by the shoulders mightily, shook him and shouted with asperity. What, Nicholas, hey, look down! Is that a fashion to act, wake up and think upon Christ's passion? I sign you with the cross from elves and sprites. And he began the spell for use at nights, in all four corners of the room and out, cross the threshold to and round about. Jesu Christ, benedict, sainted, bless this house from creature tainted. Drive away, night hags, white paternoster. Where did you go, St. Peter Sosta? And in the end, the dandy Nicholas began to sigh. And it must come to pass, he said. Must all the world be cast away, the carpenter replied. What's that, you say? But trust in God as we do, working in men. Nicholas answered, fetch some liquor then. And afterwards, in strictest secrecy, I'll speak of something touching you and me, but not another soul must know that's plain. This carpenter went down and once again came, bringing some powerful ale, largish quart, when each had his share of this support. Young Nicholas got up and shut the door, 
and sitting down beside him on the floor, said to the carpenter, Now John, my dear, my excellent host, swear on your honor here not to repeat a syllable I say, for here are Christ's intentions to betray, which to a soul puts you among the lost, and vengeance for it at a bitter cost, shall fall upon you. You'll be driven mad. Christ in his holy blood forbid it, lad! The silly fellow answered, I'm no blab, though I should say it, I'm not given to gab. Say what ye like, for I shall never tell, man, woman, or child, but him that harled hell. Now, John, said Nicholas, believe you me, I have found out by my astrology, and looking at the moon when it was bright, that Monday next, a quarter way through night, rain is to fall in torrents, such a scud, it will be twice as bad as Noah's flood. This world, he said, in just about an hour, shall be drowned in such a hideous shower, and all mankind with total loss of life. The carpenter exclaimed, Alas, my wife, my little Allison, is she to drown? And in his grief he very near fell down. Is there no remedy, he said, for this? Thanks be to God, said Nicholas. There is, if you will do exactly what I say, and don't start thinking up some other way. In wise old Solomon you'll find the verse, who takes advice shall never fare the worse. And so, if good advice is to prevail, I undertake with neither mast nor sail, to save her yet and save myself and you. Haven't you heard how Noah was saved too? When God forewarned him and his sons and daughters that all the world should sink beneath the waters. Yes, said the carpenter, a long time back. Haven't you heard, said Nicholas. What a black business it was when Noah tried to whip his wife who wouldn't come on board the ship. He'd have been better pleased, I'll undertake, with all that weather just about to break, if she had a vessel of her own. Now, what are we to do? We can't postpone the thing. It's coming soon, as I was saying. It calls for haste, not preaching or delaying. I want you now at once to hurry off and fetch a shallow tub or kneading trough for each of us, but see that they are large and such as we can float in, like a barge, and have them loaded with sufficient victual to last a day we only need a little. The waters will abate and flow away round nine o'clock upon the following day. Robin the lad mayn't know of this, poor knave, nor Jill the maid, whose two I cannot save. Don't ask me why, and even if you do, I can't disclose God's secret thoughts to you. You should be satisfied unless you're mad to find as great a grace as Noah had. And I shall save your wife, you needn't doubt it. Now off you go, and hurry up about it. And when the tubs have been collected, three, that's one for her and for yourself and me, then hang them in the roof below the thatching, that no one may discover what we're hatching. When you have finished doing what I said, and stowed in victuals in them overhead, also an axe to hack the ropes apart, so when the water rises we can start. And lastly, when you've broken out the gable, the garden one that's just above the stable, so that we may cast free without delay, after the mighty shower has gone away. You'll float as merrily, I undertake, as any little white duck behind her drake, and I'll call out, Hey, Allison, hey, John, cheer yourselves up, the flood will soon be gone. And you'll shout back, Hail, Master Nicolay, good morning, I can see you well, it's day. We shall be lords for all the rest of life, of all the world, like Noah and his wife. One thing I warn of you of, it's only right, we must be very careful on the night 
Once we have safely managed to embark, to hold our tongues, to utter no remark, no cry or call, for we must fall to prayer. This is the Lord's dear will, so have a care. Your wife and you must hang some way apart, for there must be no sin before we start, no more in longing looks than in the deed. These are your orders. Off with you, Godspeed. Tomorrow night, when everyone's asleep, we'll go quietly upstairs and creep into our tubs awaiting heaven's grace. Now be off. No time to put the case. At greater length, no time to sermonize. The proverb says, say nothing, send the wise. You're wise enough. I do not have to teach you. Go, save our lives for us, I beseech you. This silly carpenter then went his way, muttering to himself, alas, the day, and told his wife in strictest secrecy. She was aware, far more indeed than he, what this quaint stratagem might have in sight. But she pretended to be dead with fright. Alas, she said, whatever it may cost, hurry and help or we shall be all be lost. I am your honest, true and wedded wife. Go, dearest husband, help to save my life. How fancy throw us into perturbation. People can die of mere imagination. So deep is the impression one can take. The silly carpenter began to quake. Before his eyes, there verily seemed to be the floods of Noah wallowing like the sea and drowning Alice in his honey pet. He wept and wailed, his features were all set. In grief he sighed with many a doleful grunt. He went and got a tub, began to hunt for kneading troughs, found two and had them sent, home to his house in secret. Then he went, and unbeknownst he hung them from a rafter. With his own hands he made three ladders after uprights and rungs to help them in their scheme of climbing where they hung upon the beam. He vittled tub and trough and made all snug with bread and cheese and ale in a large jug, enough for three of them to last a day and just before completing this array, packed off the maid and his apprentice too to London on a job they had to do. And on the Monday when it drew to night, he shut his door and doused the candlelight and made quite sure all was as it should be. And shortly, up they clamored all the three, silent and separate. They began to pray. And Pater Noster Mum, said Nicolay, and Mum, said John, and Mum, said Allison. The carpenter's devotions being done, he sat quite still, then fell to prayer again, with one ear cocked, however, for the rain. The carpenter, with all the work he'd seen, fell dead asleep, round curfew must have been, maybe a little later on the whole. He groaned in sleep for travail of his soul and snore because his head was turned awry. Down by their ladders, stalking from on a high, came Nicholas and Allison and sped softly downstairs without a word to bed, and where this carpenter was wont to be, the revel started in the melody. And thus lay Nicholas and Allison, busy and solace in the quest for fun, until the bell for laws had started ringing, and in the channel friars began their singing. This parish clerk, this amorous Absalon, love-stricken still and very woe-begone, upon the Monday was in company at Osney with his friends for jollity, and chanced to ask a resident cloisterer what had become of John the carpenter. The fellow drew him out of church to say, Don't know. Not been a work since Saturday. Can't say where he is. I think he went to fetch the abbot's timber. He is sent often enough for timber has to go out to the Grange and stop a day or so. If not, he's certainly at home today, but where he is I can't exactly say. Absalom was a jolly lad and light, of heart he thought, 
I'll stay awake tonight. I'm certain that I haven't been sitting staring about his door since dawn. It's safe inferring that he's away. As I'm alive, I'll go and tap his window softly at the crow of cock. The still is low and set the still on the wall. I shall see Allison and tell her all. My love longing and I can hardly miss some favor from her, at least a kiss. I'll get some satisfaction anyway. There's been an itching in my mouth all day and that's a sign of kissing at the least. And all last night I dreamt about a feast. I think I'll go and sleep an hour or two, then wake and have some fun. That's what I'll do. The first cock crew at last, and thereupon up rose his jolly lover Absalom, and gayest clothes garnished with that and this. But first he chewed a grain of licorice, to charm his breath before he combed his hair. Under his tongue the comfort nestling there would make him gracious. He began to roam towards the carpenters. He reached their home, and by the casement window took his stand. Breast high it stood, no higher than his hand. It gave it a cough, it was a semi-sound. Allison, honeycomb, are you around? Sweet cinnamon, my little pretty bird. Sweetheart, wake up and say a little word. You seldom think of me in all my woe. I sweat for love of thee wherever I go. No wonder if I do, I pine and bleat, as any lambkin hungering for the teat. Believe in me, darling, I'm so deep in love. I croon with longing like a turtle dove. I eat as little as a girl at school. You go away, she answered, you tomfool. There's no come up and kiss me here. Love another, and why wouldn't I too? Better than you by Jesu, Absalom. Take yourself off or I shall throw a stone. I want to get some sleep. You go to hell. Alas, said Absalom, I knew it well. True love is always mocked and girded at. So kiss me if you can't do more than that. For Jesus' love and for the love of me. And if I do, will you be off? She said. Promise you, darling, answered Absalom. Get ready then, wait, I'll put something on. She said and then added under her breath to Nicholas, Hush, we shall laugh to death. This Absalom went down upon his knees. I am a lord, he thought, and by degrees. There may be more to come, the plot may thicken. Mercy, my love, he said, your mouth, my chicken. She flung the window open then in haste and said, Have done, come on, no time to waste. The neighbors here are always on the spy. Absalom started wiping his mouth dry. Dark was the night as pitch, as black as coal, and at the window out she put her hole. And Absalom, so fortune framed the farce, put his mouth and kissed her naked arse, most savorously before he knew of this. And he back he started, something was amiss. He knew quite well a woman has no beard, yet something rough and hairy had appeared. What have I done, he said, can that be you? Tee she cried and clapped the window too. Off went poor Absalom, sadly through the dark. A beard, a beard, cried Nicholas the spark. God's body, that was something like a joke. And Absalom, overhearing what he spoke, bit on his lips and nearly threw a fit in rage and thought, I'll pay you back for it. Who's busy rubbing, scraping at his lips with dust, with sand, with straw, with cloth, with chips? But Absalom, he thought. I'll bring him down. I wouldn't let this go for all the town. I'd take my soul and sell it to the devil to be revenged upon him. I'll get a level. Oh God, why did I let myself be fooled? The fiery heat of love but now had cooled. For from time to time he kissed her unhinder parts. He didn't give a tinker's curse for tarts. His malady was cured by his endeavor. 
and he defied all paramours whatever. So, weeping like a child that has been whipped, he turned away across the road he slipped and called on Ger Jervis. Jervis was a smith. His forge was full of things for plowing with and he was busy sharpening a share. Absalom knocked and with an easy air called Jervis, open up the door, come on. What's that? Who's there? It's me, Absalom. What? Absalom? But Jesus is blood tree. You're early up. What's wrong? Some jolly girl as like as not has coaxed you out and set you on the trot? Bless St. Neot, you know the thing I mean. But Absalom, who didn't give a bean for all his joking, offered no debate. He had a good deal more upon his plate than Gervais knew and said. Would it be fair to borrow that coulter in the chimney there? The hot one, see it? It got a job to do. It won't be take long. I'll bring it back to you. Jervis replied, Why, if you asked for gold, a bag of souvenirs or of wealth untold, it should be yours, as I'm an honest smith. But Christ, why borrow that to do it with? Let that, said Absalom, be as it may. You'll hear about it all some other day. He called the coulter up. The half was cool, and left the smithy softly with the tool, crept to the little window on the wall and coughed. He knocked and gave a little call under the window as he had before. Allison said, There's someone at the door. Who's knocking there? I'll warrant a thief. Why, no, he said, my little flower leaf. It's your own Absalom, my sweetie thing. Look what I've brought you. It's a golden ring my mother gave me as I may be saved. It's very fine and prettily engraved. I'll give it to you, darling, for a kiss. Now Nicholas had risen for a piss and thought he could improve upon the jape and make him kiss his arse ere he escape. And opening the window with a jerk, stuck out his arse, a handsome piece of work, buttocks and all, as far as to the haunch. Said Absalom, all set to make a launch. Speak, pretty bird, I know not where thou art. This, Nicholas at once, let fly a fart, as loud as if it were a thunderclap. He was near blinded by the blast, poor chap, but his hot iron was ready with a thump. He smote him in the middle of the rump. Off went the skin a hand's breadth round about, where the hot coulter struck and burnt it about. Such was the pain he thought he must be dying, and mad with agony he started crying, Help! Water! Water! Help! For heaven's love! The carpenter started from sleep above, and hearing shouts for water and a thud, thought, Heaven help us! Here comes Noel's flood! And up he sat, and with no more ado, he took his axe and smote the ropes in two, and down went everything. He didn't stop to sell his bread and ale, but came down flop upon the floor and fainted right away. Up started Allison and Nicolay, and shouted, Help! And murder! in the street. The neighbors all came running up in heat, and stood there staring at the wretched man. He lay there fainting, pale beneath his tan. His arm in falling had been broken double, but still he was obliged to face his trouble. For when he spoke, he was at once borne down by Nicholas and his wife. They told the town that he was mad. There got into his blood some sort of nonsense about Noel's flood, that vain imaginings and fantasy had made him buy the kneading tubs that he had hung them from the rafters above and that he'd been begged them both for heaven's love to sit up in the roof for company. All started laughing at this lunacy and streamed upstairs to gape and pry and poke and treated all his sufferings as a joke. No matter what the carpenter asserted and went for nothing, no one was converted. With powerful oaths, they swore the fellow down and he was held for mad by all the town. 
the students all ganged up with one another, saying, The fellow's crazy, my dear brother. And everyone among them laughed and joked, as so the carpenter's wife was truly poked. As if his jealousy to justify, and Absalom has kissed her neither eye, and Nicholas is branded on the bum, and God bring all of us to kingdom come.